turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. I'm Tom Muller, and this is Colorado Issues. And we're going to be talking about consumer and financial awareness. My guest is Natrice Bryant with the State of Colorado, the Department of Regulatory Agencies in the Banking and Financial Services area. Your your specific title, Natrice. Absolutely. I am the Consumer Education and Public Outreach Coordinator for the Department of Regulatory Agencies, specifically housed under the Division of Banking and the Division of Financial Services. Boy, that's... that's A mouthful, right? <laughs> a mouthful. It really is. I first got in contact with you on this subject when I got a release from you uh, suggesting that we tell our audience to... Uh, be sure to safely dispose of your financial uh, things, uh, yes. shredding and stuff like that. I never really even connected the need to do that while you're out of town. Absolutely. And what we want people to understand is that it's not just while you're on vacation, but I think a lot of times people forget like over the holidays and over break and vacation times during the summer, we tend to get a lot of credit card offers, a lot of things that deal with our financial information. So mm-hmm. we've got tax documents that probably came back in like April, but we still want to make sure that we keep those. So we don't want to shred those. But mm-hmm. if they are older than seven years, we do encourage you to shred those documents. It's got things like your social security number on it. Um, credit card offers have the last four of your social sometimes. They've got bank information on it as well. Your bank statements are things that you should shred as well. Sometimes people think that just simply tearing them up or just throwing them in the trash can is enough. And what we really encourage people to do is pay attention to those types of things. Mm. In the summertime, people are out a little bit more, so they're not as aware of the fact that people can go through your trash. People do dig through things to Mm -hmm. find information. So we really just wanted people to be aware of the fact that there are shred events throughout the year. It's not just on the Shredathon day that's later on in the year. It actually does occur throughout um, the year. And there are a couple of uh, different credit unions that have uh, events that were in July and August that allow for you to go in, um, bring your documents up to about three three boxes of documents, mm-hmm. and then they will actually shred those freely to you and provide you a safe and secure place to do so. And uh, I also read in a, another release, or at least the information you sent me in preparation for this interview, are you setting up a website? Uh, tell we us are. about that. Is there shredding location information on that website? There will be. So the website we're setting up, it's actually our askdora.colorado.gov. And that website actually is a plethora of information. So it's not just your financial information. It's not just information about shredding events. It's got stuff like how to find the right plumber. If you have something that goes on with your insurance, I mean, we all know insurance is a huge topic right now. So we want people to have, specifically consumers in Colorado, to have as much information as they possibly can at one location. So if you go to the askdora.colorado.gov, G-O-V website, you can find information, like I said, on how to find the right plumber. If you have some questions about your financial documents, you can look there. Um, We have several programs that we've launched 
that we put the information up about those online so people really can use it as a resource to um, deposit to find information about the things that affect them throughout the year. Including shredders. Including shredders. That's great. Now, also, we just want to let people know you can buy a shredder. Absolutely. And instead of boxing everything up and having to take boxes as you go, right. get rid of those documents by shredding it yourself. Right. And we want people to be aware of what types of documents they should shred. So like I said, we're looking at having them shred bank statements that they get that they no longer need. Um, tax documents that are more than seven years old. Obviously, you want to keep them for at least seven years. It's best practice to do mm-hmm. so. Um, but we also want you to make sure that you're getting rid of things like credit card offers in the right manner. A lot of times people think that, oh, I don't, I'm not going to get this credit card. Well, a scammer might. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a scammer might mm-hmm. definitely want that information and then you don't want uh, an account opened up in your name that now will affect your credit, that now will affect you for the rest of your life because they're not going to pay that bill for you. And also, that's a very good point, they're not going <laughs> to pay that bill for you. And also, uh, credit card companies sometimes will send a, a check as an inducement Correct. for you to sign that check and then put it on your credit card and say, I don't, I'm not going to do that and you throw it away. Right. You, you get credit card um, offers like that. You also get auto loan offers like mm-hmm. that. Let's say you have um, like a, an older Jeep, let's say for example, and the Chrysler dealership wants to buy your vehicle from you. They'll send you something in the mail that says this is not a check, but it does have an amount on it. Mm-hmm. That gives information away to people that are looking to take advantage of you of what types of things that you have. So maybe they're not looking for your social security number, but they are looking to see like if you have a vehicle that they're interested in. So you just want to make sure that you shred all of the documents that could potentially put you at risk of being scammed or defrauded. Now, in terms of your work at Dora, yes, uh, describe specifically. You gave us your title, but what? Uh, how does that title? Work itself out in terms of your duties. <laughs> okay. And why, why are you? <laughs> why am I who I am? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we've actually started a campaign that really pushes towards what's called financial education or financial literacy. And a lot of times people will ask me, like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so what I tell them is it's having, like, the knowledge, the ability, and the trust for yourself to know where your money is going, how to manage your money, but also to know what you need to do for your future. And so what we've seen is we've seen a drastic change, um, not necessarily drastic, but we've seen definitely a change across the United States on how people are utilizing their money. Um, I know my grandmother, for example, used to use the shoebox method, and she would literally put all of her savings in a shoebox underneath her bed. So when she passed, we found like this shoebox of money, and we're like, where did this come from? (laughs) But what we notice is that there's several people in the United States that are what's called unbanked. And so that represents approximately, um, it looks at approximately about 15.6 million adults, so it's about 7% of our population that are unbanked, meaning they're utilizing some other financial source to put their money. They don't necessarily, they don't have a bank account, but they might be using check cashing places to cash their paychecks or payroll checks. And so we, we really looked at that and we're, what we're trying to do is decrease that number. Colorado has about a 4% unbanked rate, which is great. Um, but at the same time, we really want to make sure that those 4% of individuals do have somewhere to put their money that's mm-hmm. a safe place. But what also we're looking at is what's called the underbanked population. And so that's a lot of us, right? That's the people that have an account, but we only use it for simple things like deposits. We don't go looking for loans on, in our financial institution. We're using alternative funding sources to find ways to get quick money. 
So that represents um, approximately 51 million U, uh, U.S. uh I'm sorry, in the U.S. population, mm-hmm. adults, it's about 19% of our population that's underbanked, meaning they have an account, but they're using alternative funding sources like a payday loan, a check cashing place, something like that. And what we want to do is make sure that people understand that they can use their financial institutions to be really solid and secure. That's not just savings. That's looking at investing. That's looking at pushing yourself towards retirement. We have a lot of people that are going back to work after retirement because they realize I can't afford to live on the current amount of money that I'm bringing in. And mm-hmm. had they have put that nice cushion into their account when they were younger, they wouldn't have to go back and be like greeters and things like that in places that they don't necessarily want to be. And they want to be relaxing and enjoying the rest of their lives when we have people that are actually going back to work. There really seems to be a lack of financial education uh, among our population. And I think the reason, I mean, there's definitely opportunities for people to take advantage of financial education. Mm-hmm. I think that what happens is that we are a very reactionary society. Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily think that we have a problem until we have a problem. <laughs> so we're not looking at that that forward thinking. We're not a forward thinking society. We look at things as they happen and then we react to what's occurred. So there might be people that say, you know, I'm great. I understand where my money is. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. And then something happens. They might have an incident where they're injured and they can't work. All of a sudden that becomes a financial problem. And then they sit back and they say, oh my goodness, I really didn't save enough money. And so I don't necessarily think it's a lack of educational opportunities. I think it's the fact that we don't know where to go until we need to go there. Uh So we've got some of our state chartered credit unions and banks that do continuous education in the schools, continuous education throughout, you know, community events. But we just don't reach out to them unless we need it. And so I think that the problem that we have that we're currently facing is that we don't know the need until it happens to us. And so when I do some of these trainings and some of these seminars, people sit there and it's like a light bulb comes on. Oh, my goodness. I never thought that I should be saving 5% of my paycheck every paycheck Mm -hmm. to myself, paying myself first. I even go through budgeting, for example, about what percentages people need to have of their paycheck going towards certain things. We have some people that are paying five and $600 car payments on a $3,000 a month salary. That's not going to work for you. Yeah. So you need to really look at where you're spending your money, especially with the cost of living increasing in Colorado. Specifically, we've seen a huge influx of people moving to Colorado for varying reasons. Mm-hmm. But with that comes an increase of um, where you're staying. So places that used to cost seven and eight hundred dollars a month are now running you sixteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month, which is a huge increase. And so what I talk to people about is not necessarily saying like I'm doing this wrong, but how do I do this differently? Mm-hmm. So I tell them about thirty three percent of your take home income, not what you're making, but your net income, because people tell me, oh, gross, I'm bringing this home. That's great. You're not bringing that home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're bringing home your net income. Right. About thirty three percent of it's going to go to your housing, and then breaking that out on insurance and car payments and things like that, what does that look like for a person? Department of Regulatory Agencies, which is your department that you're in. If I think of the government uh, entities and the Department of Regulatory Agencies, that department regulates things like banking and (laughs) homeowners associations and so forth in addition to or as service to the regulation of agencies mm-hmm. uh, is uh, helping people avail themselves of that agencies through your work of uh, of 
of communication. Absolutely. And it, it's funny that you mentioned that because people say you're a regulator. Like, yeah. What are you doing doing consumer outreach? Well, our mission is actually consumer protection. Uh-huh. So we're not just regulating organizations and businesses. We're mm-hmm. also working with those organizations to make sure that consumers have the right information because at the end of the day, if I'm a financial institution or if I'm a plumber, I want people to have the right information when they come to me so there's no misconstrued issues that occur throughout that transaction. Mm-hmm. So we're also working with industry. For example, um, my particular two divisions work with an industry to do trainings for employees within those banks and credit unions and financial institutions on how to better educate their employees so that they can help the customer better. Mm-hmm. So it's not us necessarily regulating and telling them that they have to do this. It's yeah. telling them, here's a better way to serve your customers. Here's a best practice that we can utilize. We have a couple of different programs that really help employees as well. So we've done several trainings with employees at these credit unions and at the state um, bank institutions on just managing their finances better because sometimes you have employees that are struggling a little bit and they're a better employee if they're not answering calls from bill collectors, if they're not constantly worried about money coming out of their account. But on the flip side, they have people coming in that are having those same problems. So they can help with those kinds of conversations as well because people do trust the individuals that work at those institutions. Mm-hmm. Now, now in terms of uh, financial literacy, mm-hmm. uh, some specific areas I think – uh, of what would be of interest to our various audiences. Uh, one is serving seniors 65 and older, Correct. the Senior Safe Program. Correct. Tell and, us about that. And I think we talked about this last time we had a conversation, but what Senior Safe has really done is really educating the public. It initially started off as a training that we did for institutions. So we worked with our financial institutions to help them and their employees recognize when fraud and exploitation is coming through Mm -hmm. on the senior side. So you would have individuals coming into the banks and the credit unions and saying, I want to wire $3,000 to Bob that lives in Afghanistan. And Mm so having those conversations and recognizing, hey, this could potentially be a case of fraud. What we found is that the senior population is extremely trusting, not Mm -hmm. because of naivety, but definitely because they grew up in an era where you did, you trusted people. You didn't have scammers and telephone fraud and all that kind of stuff that's going on now. Mm -hmm. It didn't exist in their era, or if it did, it was very minimal. So now you've got several cases of people coming in and saying, you know, I got this great deal on a kitchen and I'm going to get my kitchen remodeled and understanding that when someone's asking for five to $10,000 up front, that's probably not the best investment for them to make. Mm -hmm. So the training originally started off as just institutional training, training employees on how to recognize fraud. But then we recognized that if we trained the senior population as well, that they would also make better informed choices so that we could have a two-end educational opportunity. So we've got institutions that understand what to look for and seniors that understand what's going on. And you would be surprised as many trainings as I've done at senior living facilities and all of those types of things um, in community areas and churches, several of them have thoughts that like, hey, that's me. This is happening to me. And they don't recognize it because a lot of times people think when we talk about fraud, they only think about strangers Mm -hmm. because fraud is really someone you don't know. Mm -hmm. But exploitation is from someone you do know, Mm -hmm. mother, brother, sister, father, something like that, where people don't have a problem loaning them money. But then that loan turns into a a residual income for that person, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And so all of a sudden, the next thing you know, that person's account is run dry because they've loaned, quote unquote, so much money to that individual. So we've really started to do educational opportunities for seniors to help them recognize that as well. And you yourself uh, 
uh, our, our presenter yes. in these programs. Yes, I am. Is the training schedule for seniors also on your website, or will it be? It will be. So what happens is usually an institution will come to me and say, you know, we have the need for this training. So then I will go out and do that training. They're all open to the public. But mm-hmm. what we found is that some people are not as comfortable talking about their finances around people they do not know. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll schedule a training at a facility where people live and the residents can come. We always have open forums and open training sessions that are available to the public. Um, so it just kind of depends on what that scenario looks like. But, yes, we will be posting those on the okay. website. And in the meantime, if somebody is hearing this and say, you know, I really would like to schedule that. Right. How do they get in touch with you? They can um, either contact me via telephone or they can go to our askdora.colorado.gov website and click on the Senior Safe link and then request a presentation. You can also reach me directly at 303-894-7741. I'm talking with Natrice Bryant from the state of Colorado, Department of Regulatory Agencies, and the Banking and Financial Services Division, is it? Yes. <laughs> anyway, communicating the stuff that we're communicating. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, the other program in terms of financial literacy, kind of circling back to my initial uh, question about the fact that there seems to be rampant illiteracy about certain basics of right. financial wellness, mm-hmm. such as paying yourself first. Yes. Of, percentage, uh, primarily because there's so many carrots out there for right. people to go chasing yes. and so much credit available. Correct. Um, but uh, uh, to help mitigate against those problems and, again, to help uh, uh, the population is the Step Up program, Correct. which is designed for people in what age group? Um, pretty much we're looking at 18 to 64, so everybody who's not a child and everyone who's not a senior. And so what that program really looks at is your personal financial management. It's not us telling you that you have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. What it is doing is it's providing a foundation of basic financial education that tells you the percentages, best practices of where money should be going, paying yourself first. It also even talks a little bit about investing. And so what we want with investing People usually get upset with me when they talk about investing. I don't have money to invest. Mm -hmm. And then I talk to them about the money that they're spending on eating fast food, going to the coffee shop every morning. That's like 5 to $10 a day that you could put forth to really invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. And so no one really thinks about it that way. It always is I don't have the money, and so that's their excuse, and they move on. So what we talk to them about is educating themselves to make sure that they understand savings, they understand budgeting. Like I said, paying yourself first. About 5% of your paycheck should always go to you. And, you know, you do have that money. A lot of times people will just put it in their direct deposit that 5% goes to their savings account. And that that way they don't have to rely on themselves to take that money out Mm -hmm. and put it in an account that you can't remove it from whenever you need to. But you you do have flexibility if you need it. I talk to people about um, unexpected life expenses in in that training as well. And what we look at is, you know, people are going to college the cost of college I have not seen decrease ever, so mm-hmm. it's going mm-hmm. to continuously go up. But also things that like your furnace may go out when it's zero degrees outside. Colorado can get very cold and it can also get very hot, so your air conditioning can go out. I talk to them about managing their credit. Um, it's not necessarily saying that you don't want to get credit cards because we do want you to establish credit, especially if you want to become a homeowner. But it's really following the rule of the 2010 rule, and that's what I talk to people about is about 20% of their annual income should be loans. 
10% of their monthly income should be those payments to those loans. So if you're paying more than 10% per month to loans like credit cards and things like that, you need to reevaluate what you're doing with your money. And it's not saying you're doing it wrong. It's just saying that you're going to continue to live in this constant funnel of credit debt. And so what we don't want people to do is have this revolving debt that they can't ever pay off. Hmm. Um, we also talk about student loans in this program. About 13% of the U.S. population is defaulted on their loans. And I don't know if that number is going to go up or down, but at 13%, it's pretty scary that we have that many people that are just like, I can't afford to do this. Hmm. And so I educate them on options that these student loan places offer. You can forbear your loans. You can defer them. So having those conversations that like you have forbearance, you are going to accrue interest, but at the same time, you can pay on that interest and pay those little payments that you can't afford versus not paying it at all. Having those conversations on income-based repayment plans. And so a lot of times people will sit there and these are not like people that are 24, 25. These are people that are 40 and 50 years old. They're just not aware of the options that they have. And like I said, most people are very reactive until it hits them. They don't know that they need help with that type of stuff. So you help people know their options. I do. I help them with their options. I help them with contact information. I I mean, I've been through the student loan process. I mean, I have student loans as well. Uh And if I didn't know where to go, I would have probably fallen in the same crisis that some people fall in where they're like, I'm paying so much money in loans, not just student loans, but Mm -hmm. loans in general, Mm -hmm. credit card debt. I mean, when I was in college, I had all these credit card companies coming to me and saying, like, you can get approved and you're 18 and finally, and (laughs) it felt great. It felt great to be able to say, like, this is mine. Mm -hmm. And then that bill comes. (laughs) And it's not yours. (laughs) And it's no longer yours. And so educating, especially those college students as well. So we actually do trainings at universities, at local universities Mm -hmm. as well, on financial education. And so that talks to them about understanding credit because if I would have known what I knew today I probably wouldn't have done the things that I did when I was Boy, 18 and 19 years I'm old with you. I'm with you so <laughs> we do work with those um, local universities um, throughout the state actually I can't just say local like mm-hmm. we're doing entry level trainings for freshmen and coming freshmen at Colorado Mesa University in um, August and so those types of trainings are fundamental to the incoming freshmen and graduating senior population because they're coming in fresh out of mom and dad's house and they're ready and they want to be independent because we all don't want to live off of our parents for the rest of our lives. We want to have some sort of independence. Mm -hmm. But then when they graduate, it's like reality hits. Those student loans become due six Mm -hmm. months later. And oh my goodness, how am I going to pay this? And wait a minute, I racked up all that credit card debt and now I have to pay all those. And $25 a month payments is going to make you pay those loans off forever. So we really talk to the the college population as well to make sure that they understand what they're really walking into. Uh, what kind of attendance are you getting in the college? <laughs> so yeah. the colleges, um, depending on where they're at, it's a requirement for them. Oh, so the good. students will come good. to the classes. So mm-hmm. we have, like, for example, at Colorado Mesa, their TRIO program requires financial education. Mm-hmm. So they have a set group of people that have to come. Um, we have scholarship foundations that actually encourage it. So those scholarship recipients will come. So we do get a good turnout. Good. Um, be, not necessarily because it's required, but I think that students do realize, like, hey, I don't want to do this on my own, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be by myself, and I don't want to be in debt when I graduate. And that kind of speaks to my earlier question about our culture where financial 
knowledge mm-hmm. uh, was lacking in the educational system, apparently. Right. So you're kind of doing an end around uh, like that. and Yeah, we're definitely working with the older population, but we're also trying to get into the schools and help out before they get to college. Mm-hmm. So you've also got a program of youth that... Um, the teachers see the need, but we can go in and do some simple educational components. We've done some what's called reality fairs at some of the local high schools. And what that does is that takes a job, for example, that they want. Let's say they want to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. So I pulled the salary, the entry-level salary in Colorado for a veterinarian, give them a whole budgeting sheet of insurance and those types of things. And so what they do is they go through this reality experiential learning process so that they can see this is really what you're going to end up paying when you graduate. So at high school, they're already starting to think about, like, maybe this is not the career choice for me, <laughs> or I'm going to have to live a little bit differently than what I originally thought. And that experiential learning has really resonated well with the middle school and high school students. So it's there, again, like I said, but it's just knowing to be able to ask for it. The state provides it for you. I mean, we've got different partnerships that we work with Department of Education. We work with several different schools that have a principal or a dean that sees the need for it. And so it's just being able to reach out to those schools. Like I said, our credit unions and financial institutions and our banks do those trainings as well. Mm -hmm. So they're in the schools. It's just, again, if the school doesn't necessarily have it or they don't have the the time, so to speak, to do it just based on the curriculum of the other stuff they have Mm -hmm. to teach students, it's getting kids to those classes. It's getting parents to understand that it is a good thing for them to have it. It's not that we're trying to teach them how to get away from you. It's that we're trying to teach them to be independent from you at an earlier age, talking to them about savings, just a simple fact of savings. So when you look at younger kids, middle school kids, they think about it. Then they get into high school, they'll be working. Uh So we want their paycheck to make it out of the store, (laughs) not necessarily just to go directly towards the shoes that they wanted to buy. And I'm assuming, am I correct in assuming that, uh, uh, things that you do for the Step Up program are also on your askdora.colorado.gov or will be? They will be. We will have a calendar of events so people can click on it. Um, we'll have a button that has like who you are so it really speaks to consumers. So if you're a child, you click on the youth button. If you're an adult, you click on the adult button and then there'll be a calendar of events that are relevant to you. Now, is that website up and running or is that future. The website is up and running, but we're going to make some revamps to it and we'll do a full launch and relaunch of it uh, later on this year. But it is up and running, so you uh-huh. can find a lot of this information already Beautiful. on there. And in the meantime, if they don't find on askdora.colorado.gov, what's your phone number again? It's 303-894-7741. Well, Natrice, thank you so much again for coming. Thank you for having me. This is just great. Uh, so important what you're doing. Natrice Bryant from the state of Colorado, DORA, Department of Regulatory Agencies. I'm Tom Muller, and this has been Colorado Issues.